the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. International Energy Week has recently concluded in London. It was from the 28th of February to the 2nd of March, and it was at a very swanky Park Lane Hotel in the Mayfair district of London. It's a big deal. More than 50 countries were represented. There were 1,500-plus participants and also 200-plus companies. With me is Tom Nelson, who's the head of thematic equity at 91 in London, to talk about this. It is quite a big deal and with a very interesting backdrop because on the front page of the International Energy Week website, it says here, the world is in the grip of a triple energy crisis. Tom, do you agree with that? Well, I think the first comment to make, Lindsay, is that it's interesting in itself that this event, uh, which hitherto has been known as International Petroleum Week, Ah. uh, has been rebranded as International Energy Week in much the same way as many of the big oil and gas companies have, if you like, repositioned or rebranded themselves as energy companies. So there's a clear look through there to what the industry sees, if you like, as its future and its role within society. And more specifically to your question about the energy crisis, um, we are in an energy transition. And transitions uh, take longer than people expect. They're typically quite disorderly. And there are moments in any transition, but certainly one of this complexity, where it does feel like a crisis. And of course, in this instance, the situation has been exacerbated by um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine 12 months ago. And so at precisely the moment at which the energy system needed all sources of supply, we've got a major disruption. So it feels somewhat crisis-like at the moment, um, but we will prevail, we will get through this, we will move from a hydrocarbon-based energy system to a lower-carbon energy system. It will mean in the future that the energy system is cheaper, is more reliable, and is environmentally more friendly. But to get from A to be will take a long time and will be very complicated. It's very interesting because the recent mining in Darbar in Cape Town, which is to do with mining, of course, getting stuff out of the ground, had a very much an ESG sustainability community feel about it and focus. And it was very, very apparent to me that it was all to do with an old economy, an old industry uh, melding, if you like, with the new green industrialised revolution. Is there a similar theme at the International Energy Week, or has there been? I think there is, and and it's it's similar and pretty complementary, really, to what you've described from the mining in Daba. It's, in a sense, it's the collision of the old and the new. It's taking an industry which is absolutely central and essential to economic growth and development and human progress, and it is bringing that, that, if you like, that old industry um, forward. And, and, and that means that, that you, you get, um, both in terms of the people and the technologies um, and all of the stakeholders, you do get this sort of coming together, this confluence of, of if you like, established, uh, deep-rooted systems with a more progressive, forward-looking, modernist approach. 
and I think it's tremendously exciting because when we think about where the problem lies, and I'm thinking at a systems level here about emissions and greenhouse gases in the atmosphere and their effect on global temperatures, when we think about where the problems lie, there are really five main areas of economic activity. It's power, buildings, mobility, including transportation, industry and agriculture. And that's 90% of global emissions. And if we can tackle those areas head on rather than skirting around them or marginalising them, then I think we can solve this problem. Good. Let's just go back to the International Energy Week, which has been rebranded, as you quite rightly pointed out, from petroleum to energy. What are the industries that are represented or were represented at this week? Is it mainly oil and gas or is there an awful lot of others that were in the past maybe on the fringes but now are front and centre? I think it's becoming a broader church because the, as I said, the coming together of the, the old established energy system and the newer, lower carbon, more progressive forward-looking energy system, that those two are now... Um, swimming in the same pool, really. Um, So we're seeing, you know, greater representation from uh, renewable energy, from low carbon, um, from forward-looking transition areas of business uh, for the established energy companies. So I I think as the energy system itself evolves, so representation at an event like this um, changes as well. I would say Um, based on my own observations, that it hasn't moved as far forward, for example, as Indaba, in the sense that um, representation at Indaba from all sorts of stakeholders, automakers, etc., we're hearing as well from a leading mining sector conference, which is happening in Miami this week, uh, from members of our team who are over there in terms of attendance and requests for company one-on-ones, it's far exceeded anything we've seen over the last decade, standing room only in a lot of the big company presentations. And to your point, Lindsay, representation from um, a much, much broader set of industry stakeholders than, if you like, the historic mining um, itself. It's very interesting, yes, because I know your colleague George Cheveley is in Miami at the moment and going all over the place and uh, giving speeches, etc. So there's a massive interest in this, Tom. We've had some really quite glamorous results out from energy companies, from oil and gas companies, and there's political leanings that suggest that there should be massive windfall taxes. But on the other hand, I saw a quote from you the other day that was relating to a particular oil company. Essentially, you said they're doing an awful lot to make the transition that you spoke about uh, earlier on. This isn't just greenwashing, is it, Tom? I don't believe it is. And I think the industry, uh, by which I mean the oil and gas industry, um, recognises the role that it has to play. I I would emphasise that we we mustn't be naive here. We've got to really, really understand and interrogate these companies and their management teams. We've got to dig very, very deeply into their transition plans, both in terms of the commitments they're making, the scale of the ambition, but also the financial feasibility of these transition plans. And we've got to hold them to account year after year. Are they doing what they said they were going to do? Are they retrenching? Are they going backwards from targets? But you know, to my earlier point about going to where the problem is, we can't 
skirt around this problem. We have an energy system which is at the moment hydrocarbon dependent, oil, gas and coal primarily, um, obviously with tremendous growth in renewables, but still a relatively small part of the overall. And we have to change that energy system. And to change that energy system, we've got to change the central protagonists, both at a company and at a sovereign level. So, no, I don't think it's greenwashing, but we must carry on exerting pressure on these companies and indeed at a sovereign level for companies and countries to do more and faster. Yeah, you mentioned coal. We've mentioned oil and gas on a number of occasions during this brief chat, and now coal comes to the fore as well. I think it's a step in the wrong direction when I see the amount of coal-fired power stations in China, for example, being commissioned. With all their chat about how well they've done in order to decarbonize or whatever the phrase is, they're now more power stations. So on the one hand, International Energy Week is sending out the right message. On the other hand, a country like China, the second biggest in the world, is going ahead in a different direction. I saw the same data, Lily, and I agree. At a headline level, um, it's disappointing and disheartening. There are, in a sense, if not mitigating factors, then there are explanatory factors going on in the background in terms of um, rainfall in China, availability of hydro, etc. Um, but clearly, when we think about tackling heavy emitting sectors and heavy emitting geographies, we can be even more laser focused in our overall approach. And really, that gets into thinking about heavy emitting industries and economic areas in emerging markets. And that's an area where we as an organization are putting a lot of time and thought. It's in a sense, it's where the battle will be won and lost. Because if you look at the projection for where emissions are going to come from over the next 30 years out to 2050, yeah. It's an emerging market story. And so it doesn't in any way mean that here in the UK or in Europe or in the US or in other geographies that we should simply sort of stop and, and not carry on what we're trying to do. Quite the opposite. But as I say, the volume of emissions growth is overwhelmingly emerging market focused going forward. And that's where we've got to find a way to crack the problem. It's like a tobacco company, for example, emerging markets are their growth markets at the moment. And as you quite rightly say, this is uh, very similar to what's happening with energy companies. How difficult is it going to be and how long will it take for energy companies to make the transition that is so, so important? Otherwise, they will alienate long term investors. Well, I think it's company specific, you know, in the sense that they all start from different places. There are geographic regional differences as well, which is similar to the first point in, in the sense that certain technologies have advantages in certain parts of the world. You know, these companies are changing very quickly. If we go back eight years to early 2015, so before the Paris Climate Agreement, where the oil and gas industry was uh, really on its backside after a collapse in oil prices starting in the latter half of 2014. And really, there was very little broad-based support or buy-in for this concept of, of an industry transition 
fast forward eight years to Q1 of 2023, a completely different narrative. And, you know, one of the things I think we have to bear in mind is that there will always be people, there will always be factions and voices and commentators who, you know, say words to the effect, oh, it's just greenwashing or, oh, they should do much more, much more quickly. Yeah. Uh, they should just walk away from oil and gas. They should run down the business for cash. Uh, they should just give it all out as dividends, all these sorts of things. But to come back to the earlier point we discussed around Russia and the energy crisis, as has been outlined at International Energy Week, we're not in a position at the moment to walk away from the oil and gas industry. And so what we need to implore these companies to do is to manage down their oil and gas in a responsible way, to focus on low emissions oil and gas, um, focusing on things like methane emissions wherever they can. And I think most importantly, and I think this is beginning to come through a bit, is this concept of recycling, if you like, elevated levels of profitability and cash generation from the oil and gas business and recycling that into the low carbon business areas that each of these companies is going after. And of course, they're going after different things. Some are very focused on renewable energy, wind and solar. Some are really focused on actually fully sort of integrated energy provision. So electricity into the home. Some are focused on hydrogen. Some are focused on carbon capture, et cetera, et cetera. So no two companies have got the same transition plan. But that, I think, should be seen as at the heart of it all. It's, it's taking cash flows and profit from the legacy business and reallocating them in this forward-looking business. And that's why when we hear criticism and objection to oil and gas and energy businesses making you know, high profits and high levels of cash, I find it a little strange because, in a sense, we should want these businesses to generate a lot of cash provided they're reallocating it in the right areas. And that, that part of the conversation seems to have broken down. Let's bring this all back now to investing and strategies. Given all that you've said, and given the fact that this is going to be a long process and there'll be little bumps along the way, maybe some big bumps as well, how do you strategize at 91 when it comes to this energy transition and how to benefit from it for your clients? Well, the first thing to say is that there are certain strategies, particularly those with an explicit sustainability characteristic, won't invest in this sector. So that needs to be understood straight away. More broadly, when we think across the platform, we think that the, that the, the clearest way to approach heavy emitting sectors is to interrogate and understand and analyze them through the lens of the transition plan and the transition strategy. So in a sense, it's a departure from traditional financial analysis of a company or a sector or a group of companies. And it's being much, much more focused on this, you know, one, two, three decade out strategy from the starting point of today. So we think as an organization that tackling the heavy emitters, including the energy system, stands actually to deliver very, very attractive long-term investment returns, uh, primarily because you start from a depressed initial valuation. And at the same time, if we can fix these industries or play our part in 
encompassing these industries, there is a demonstrable and potentially very attractive real world impact as well. So in a sense, it's the part of the market that people have really struggled with, uh, particularly since the Paris Agreement. I think, frankly, it's a part of the market that a lot of people ignored up until 2020 and 2021 because it was underperforming quite substantially and people could afford to ignore it. It's now back in center field because it's performing strongly. And I think people are beginning to question the legitimacy of the idea that you can just ignore all this stuff because it looks dirty. We've got to roll our sleeves up, get stuck into it. And we think in so doing, you can generate really attractive returns and make a real world difference. Very good. What a lovely way to end. Tom, that was a fascinating chat. Thank you very much for your time. Tom Nelson is head of thematic equity at 91 in London. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.